the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the Daily Show Prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com. Hi, everybody. Great to be with you. I'm Dennis Prager. Why don't you guys zoom in on a Prager license plate from Arizona? Nice. Hi, everybody. Good to be with you. This is completely insignificant. No, not completely. Largely insignificant, but I will announce it anyway. I do not recall the last time I wore a yellow shirt on my show. This is uh, a moment, my gen- gentlemen. This is a moment. I like it, actually. It's it's bright and cheerful. You can see me, by the way, at the uh, Salem News Channel. Correct, gentlemen? How many? Look, let's get this straight. There's Salem News Channel. There's Salem... Uh, what else is there? Salem Podcast Network. And there's Salem Now. Okay, so you have to understand, for a mind like mine... It's challenging. Okay, fine. So are you a Guardians fan? Does anybody root for the Guardians? Does anybody in Cleveland actually say, hey, did you see the Guardians game? How are the Guardians doing this year? Uh, oh, no, uh, he answered my question, how the Guardians are doing this year. It should, it should embarrass everyone in America, but certainly in Cleveland, that they considered the name Indians to be wrong, morally wrong. You know, I have told you this, and it it's just bears repeating, they changed the Washington Redskins name to, uh, what, what is the Washington Redskins team now? The Commanders. Now we have Commanders and Guardians. Oh, it's so innocuous, so meaningless. The 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 Commanders? <laughs> Does anybody in Washington say, hey, how the Commanders doing? Do you know the, the Washington Post, as woke a newspaper as exists, therefore profoundly irrational and emotion-driven. Oh, the sports writers of the Washington Post, they went crazy about the racism inherent in the name Redskins. And so they commissioned their own very sophisticated poll of Native Americans and found that the overwhelming majority did not find the name Redskins offensive. You ever hear the phrase, he's more Catholic than the Pope? The left 
in America is more Native American than Native Americans. American Indians had no problem with Indians, with Redskins. If they had no problem with Redskins, they certainly had no problem with Indians. How could there be a problem? You're honoring that group. Guy who called me years ago when I spoke about this said, Well, what would you think if a team were named the Jews? And in one of my more proud moments, or moments I am proud of, I said to the man, Sir, Jews have been looking for fans for 3,000 years. It would be a great moment. The Cleveland Jews, that's what they should have thought. That's what, it it beats guardians. Jews, that's an ancient pedigree. (laughs) The Cleveland Jews. (laughs) Let's go Jews! This has not been the chant of non-Jews in Jewish history as a general rule. (laughs) It was more like Jews get out of here given the amount of anti-Semitism in Jewish history. Do you know what the removal of the Indian's name? I'm thinking about it because I was on Cleveland radio today on Bob France's great show. He sits in for me, and he's he's one of the best in, in the talk business. So I was on Cleveland radio right before this show, on my station there, WHK. Got a lot of listeners in Cleveland. So it made me think about this. But we were talking about Deuteronomy, my the next volume in my Rational Bible's coming out in 10 days. I, I, I really urge you to get it. If you really read it, I promise it will deeply affect your life in the, in the most positive way. So I was thinking about the change of the name. Do you realize what it do you realize what it represents? It represents how little racism there is in America. That people go after trivia. It is trivial in terms of the well-being of the Native American, the American Indian. It is it is beyond trivial. It is less than trivial. It is unworthy of attention, except in a positive sense. That Cleveland's baseball team had been named for over 100 years, I believe it is, the Cleveland Indians. It is very, very sad that it was dropped. Now they're working on the Atlanta Braves. Now, who, who could find Braves? offensive. I could see cowards, but then that would be the name of a team consisting of college presidents, the cowards. I mean, the, the number of teams that would have people qualifying as cowards is so large that you you wonder whom we're referring to when we say we're the land of the free and the home of the brave. 
the Atlanta Braves. What's wrong with that? You realize how much, look, the mistreatment of the American Indian is known and should be known. It's part of our history. At the same time, it should be known that there is a massive respect in American history for the American Indian, specifically for his courage, his fortitude. That's why teams are named after them. Why is there a Minnesota Vikings? Because the Vikings are considered to have been great fighters. You name yourself after fighters. No team named the Worms. Even when they take animals, they're fighting animals, tigers, lions, right? Detroit Tigers, Detroit Lions. I guess Detroit had a monopoly on fighting animals. It's funny, there is a team, I don't remember which West African country, but when I was in West Africa last, somebody in, it might have been Togo or Benin, was telling me that the name of their national football team, of course it's soccer around the world, I think it was something to do with squirrels, and they had a big problem with that. <laughs> My point is, when you can't, when you don't have serious ills to fight, you make up them. You make them up. That's why there are so many race hoaxes, because there's so little racism. So you have to make it up. That's the case with the battle against the Indians and the Redskins. I'd love to know what pressure ultimately came upon the owners. Because the Washington Redskins owner swore that he would never change the name. Sports writers are the sheep of the country. They should have a name, sheep. Yeah. The left has decimated every profession. We may well prevail, however, and they fear that. The nothings hate the somethings, a rule of life. 1A Prager 776. We continue. The Dennis Prager Show. The Fed is unstable. Interest rates could go up at any moment. If you're relocating and need to buy a new home or invest in real estate, get fully underwritten and approved with Andrew Del Rey and Todd Avakian at Sierra Pacific Mortgage before you make an offer. Their fast-track approval process will allow you to compete with cash offers, whether you're buying today, tomorrow, or a year from now. Even though housing prices are stabilizing or coming down, economic uncertainty, supply chain issues, and limited construction means the real estate market is limited and competitive. Go to andrewandtodd.com. That's andrewandtodd.com right now. Get fully approved today and have confidence so that when you're ready to buy, you'll have the money ready to go. 
Don't wait. Go to andrewandtodd.com. Lock in today's still historically low rates. Go to andrewandtodd.com. That's andrewandtodd.com. Hi, everybody. Hey, guess what? I was right. The Benin, Benin is a team in South Africa. The Benin team, the Benin country men's football team is named the Squirrels. And I just got this from the Living Martyr, August 22, 2022, just now, three months ago, eight from, uh, what am I talking, two months ago. Benin's nickname changed squirrels to cheetahs, awaits approval. I had a feeling squirrels, they, they told me it was an odd name for a team. You don't think of squirrels as fighters. Cheetahs, oh, now that's a, that's a big cat. They like the big cats, tigers, lions, etc. Yes. Do you know I played for you yesterday the new Italian prime minister's speech from a couple of years ago? And where she said brilliantly, it was just, she got it exactly right. Why is the family an enemy? Why is the family so frightening? There's a single answer to all these questions, because it defines us, because it is our identity, because everything that defines us now is an enemy for those who would like us to no longer have an identity. That's right. That's exactly right. I wrote about 20 years ago, if not longer, I wrote about that. This defines the left. People with no religious or national identity hate people with a religious or national identity. George Soros is the perfect example. George Soros has no identity. None. They don't even want people to any longer have male or female identity. It's called assigned at birth. One of the most absurd lies in the history of the world. She, by the way, noted that. She quoted Chesterton in her speech that people will use swords to defend the fact that two and two is four. That's what we have reached now. We have to fight to defend the fact that only women give birth. In hospitals around this country, it's now birthing parent one and birthing parent two, or parent one and parent two. She notes that in her speech. These people are hateful. They're hate-filled. They're hateful. To take away everything. You're not a man or a woman. You're not an American. You're a human. Like Superman. Stop being an American. He's now a world citizen. Stood in front of the UN and renounced his citizenship. And of course, you don't have a religious identity. What do kids have? Do you know what a life is like with no identities? I was asked at least 25 years ago. I was interviewed before Israelis living in the Los Angeles area. They have a a large group. And they interviewed me in Hebrew which gave them a lot of joy. 
totally understandably that somebody, an American-born person, could speak their language. And one of the first questions was, are you first a Jew or first an American? And I answered, I have two fathers, Abraham and George Washington. It's been my answer ever since, because it's exactly how I feel. I have two fathers, Abraham and George Washington. And I'm very lucky to have such two strong identities, the religious one and the national one. It's a big deal. The kids today have been robbed of identity, including now sexual identity. You're non-binary, so you don't even have a gender-slash-sex identity. Sick folks teach your kids how to be sick. And you still send them to school. Big mistake, my friends. You've chosen convenience over the fate of your child. I understand it. I sympathize. But it's wrong. Ask anybody whose kid was turned against them and everything they stand for. If you could do it all over again, would you have homeschooled your child? And they will ruefully respond, of course. But people don't think bad things will happen to them. I never thought that. <laughs> it's, it's an odd way to go through life in some people's views. I never thought I was immune to bad things happening to me. That's why I ask on a daily basis, why me? Why, why am I so lucky? Because I didn't expect it. I didn't expect the bad, and I didn't expect the good. I just don't think I'm immune from the bad things happening. If the chances are my kid will be poisoned at school, morally, psychologically, intellectually, why would I send my child to such a school? This would fix the country more rapidly than any other single thing. A massive withdrawal from our schools by children. That would fix more than anything else. Teachers unions have one interest, two actually, money and radical leftist nihilism. Those are their only interests. The welfare of your child is not on their list. As we saw for the two years when teachers would not even show up, truly embracing both cowardice and scientific ignorance. Sweden kept its schools open, my friends. Not a day closed and not a kid killed or a teacher, to the best of my knowledge. When Sweden becomes America's model, the world is topsy-turvy. MyPillow is having their biggest sheet sale of the year. You all have helped build MyPillow into the amazing company that it is today. Now Mike Lindell, inventor and CEO, wants to give back exclusively to his listeners. The Percale and Giza Dream bedsheet sets are available in a variety of colors and sizes, and they're all on sale for as low as $29.98 with our listener promo code. 
Order now, because when they're gone, they're gone. The Percale and Giza Dream Sheets are breathable and have a cool, crisp feel. They come with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. Don't miss out on this incredible offer. There's a limited supply, so be sure to order now. Call 800-761-6302. Use the promo code Prager. Or go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square, and use the promo code Prager. Hi everybody, Dennis Prager here. As I have been explaining all of my life, the there is no example of the left in power since 1917, when they left first took power in a country called Russia, which became the Soviet Union. There's no example of the left not suppressing dissent, because the left knows that it cannot win by the morality or intellectuality of its arguments. It must suppress dissent. And it begins with the suppression of religion, because people who have a god that is not the state are a threat to the state. So we have more and more attacks by the left taking over the American government. A thug named Merrick Garland is in charge of the Department of Justice. He will go down in history as a thug. I, I have no doubt about that. I am shocked that he turned out that way. I had, I had no sense of his being such a bad human being. Sending FBI agents to a man's home uh, and uh, who had no charges against him, but he was a pro-life activist, 25 agents with guns drawn in front of his children. There's a group that defends religious liberty, and other liberties for that matter, more than any other, the Alliance Defending Freedom. They have a case with regard to the fire department in Austin, I'm going to talk to them about that now. The Alliance Defending Freedom Senior Counsel is Ryan Bangert, and with him is Dr. Andrew Fox, who created the chaplaincy program at the Austin Fire Department and was lead chaplain in a volunteer capacity for eight years. Gentlemen, thank you so much, and thank you. Ryan, for the great work ADF does. So, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I'm a very big fan and personal supporter of ADF. So, what happened in Austin at the fire department? Well, I was, as you said, serving as the lead chaplain uh, for eight, nine years. And uh, I also started a blog at the same time, eight, nine years ago, in which I commented on. Uh, social commentary, life theology, um, issues that people were facing, and uh, there's a a good subscribership to it. Nothing to do with chaplaincy in the Austin Fire Department. And in one particular blog, I questioned a biological man identifying as a woman, then competing against women in athletics was another attack on the beauty of what it is to be a woman. And uh, I was called out on that. And eventually, uh, even though I tried to meet them on middle ground in conversation, 
uh, was abruptly, unceremoniously and unprofessionally cancelled from the uh, fire department for expressing my Christian beliefs in a private blog. So let me understand, if you had, if you were an atheist and you had said it's not fair to women to have biological men compete in women's sports, that is the whole reason for women's sports, because it is unfair to have biological men competing against them, and I personally am an atheist, and my argument is purely on logical and moral grounds, what would have happened to you? Well, if you read my blog, um, if anyone reads my blog, my blogs are also on logical and rational uh, evidence. Um, And so the fact that I am a Christian, uh, a Christian chaplain, my beliefs obviously bleed through into my writing. So one of the sources that I would cite would be the book of Genesis, Um, that being theological. But I also quote uh, very highly regarded medical journals and uh, Caitlyn Jenner, many others that uh, were former athletes that also object to the uh, biological male competing against females. So um, I'm in agreement with you logically and rationally. Um, But I think I was called out because of my Christian beliefs. All right, we're going to cover that in a moment. In the meantime, please go to my website, dear listeners, contribute to ADF. Okay, you have to help the fighters, and you have to, or you have to answer to God. How's that for a challenge? Hey, everybody, Dennis Prager here. I will admit, well, there's nothing to admit. It's not like it's a guilty plea. <laughs> I, I retract that. I want you to know what a fan I am of the Bill O'Reilly, Martin Dugard series of books, Killing the, or Killing whatever the next name is. They are incredibly informative and incredibly entertaining at the same time, even when their topic is not a happy one. So I have the primary, well, the the bigger name, I don't know if he's the primary author, Bill O'Reilly is on with me, Killing the Legends is the latest in his killing series, The Lethal Danger of Celebrity, so this is not literally like killing the Indians or killing uh, Patton and so on, or killing the SS, this is, uh, or killing Kennedy, this is the how they killed themselves in some ways. Well, that's not true about John Lennon. Anyway, we'll find out. It is about three of the most famous figures of the 20th century. John Lennon, the the Beatle, who was assassinated, Muhammad Ali, the boxer, and, uh, and Elvis Presley, the incredible star. What possessed you, Bill, to write this? This is right up your alley, Dennis. Each one of these titans changed American culture. And as a historian, my job is to analyze how we all live today and how history uh, shaped that. So real quick, Elvis Presley, mid-50s, post-World War II, Dwight Eisenhower president, conformity nation. Okay? Everybody looked the same, talked the same, TV just came in, watched the same shows, whatever it may be. In the space of six minutes, 
on the Ed Sullivan Show, a teenager from Tupelo, Mississippi, goes on and blows up the entire American culture. The next day, pastors are screaming that Elvis Presley is an agent of Satan. Parents are telling their young boy, you cannot slick your hair back. You can't wear a leather jacket and sneer. Who wins? Elvis wins. The culture changes dramatically in the the late 1950s. And I can give you the same profile for John Lennon and the Beatles and Muhammad Ali as well. That's fascinating. So let's go uh, with each. Why did Ed Sullivan have Elvis Presley on? Ratings, even back then, television ratings were the god in the industry. And he was a hot uh, recording artist. But Sullivan was nervous and told his crew, do not photograph, do not shoot with the television camera below Presley's waist because he's writhing around and girls are screaming. So it was for the waist up when Elvis sang Hound Dog, it didn't matter. He was so different, so compelling, so charismatic, and the country was ready for a different point of view. And then the age of mini rebellion came in. James Dean, uh, the Greasers, you know, the, the whole 60s um, thing that we all know. 1964, Lennon and the Beatles did the same thing over a longer period of time. Also on the Ed Sullivan show. Yep, and the same reason. Uh, but see, Sullivan saw them as clean cut, where he was a little dubious about Elvis. Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, between 64 and 69, sex, drugs, rock and roll. Comes in big time to USA, still here. And at the same time that happened, Muhammad Ali was changing the world of civil rights and protest. So these are the three individual icons that shape our society even today. And I don't know why historians haven't written more about them. That's why I wrote Killing the Legends. It's a very good point. They really did uh, reshape things. What year did Presley die? 78, I think it was 42 years old. Was he a star till the end? Oh, yeah. He was selling out concerts. But here's the uh, dramatic thing. If you Google Elvis Comeback Special 1967, you can see him at the top of this game. Ten years later, unrecognizable. Is this the same human being? He had to know that he was going down. Now, all three of these men had other things in common, like they were all betrayed by people close to them. And they all got crushed by their celebrity status. They could not handle it. It destroyed them. That's fascinating. Obviously, it's why the book is so interesting. Killing the Legends up at DennisPrager.com, folks. Bill O'Reilly and Martin Dugard. So, let, let I want to stick, uh, I want to go in order here, though you're certainly free to to conjoin them, which you do in the book, obviously. But with Elvis Presley, what what specifically killed him? Was it drugs? Was it alcohol? Was it both? He didn't drink. 
Oh, interesting. Uh, it was drugs. It was narcotics. That's fascinating. Elvis Presley could, yeah, he couldn't sleep. So he started to take uh, drugs to make him sleep. And then he couldn't go to the bathroom. So he started to take diuretics. And then he was depressed. So he took uppers. And then to get on stage, he had to take all this stuff. He took an enormous amount of hard narcotics prescribed Mm -hmm. for him by his personal physician. And his management knew he was doing it. He was stoned most of the time. Is that why you say he was betrayed? Well, he was betrayed before that. So he signed a contract with a guy named Colonel Tom Parker, who Tom Hanks plays in the new Elvis movie. And Parker took 50% of everything that Elvis earned. 50% plus expenses. It was unbelievable. And after Presley died... His estate had to take Parker in to court to pry all the money out of that. So Parker was stealing from Presley. And then, of course, the Nation of Islam did the same thing to Muhammad Ali. Amazing. So how many times was Presley married? Uh, one time. Oh, Priscilla Presley. Interesting. Uh, but she... Yeah, she was of no use because she was a teenager when they got married and totally out of her element. Uh, Elvis was pretty much a loner, and and he he didn't have a good education. He graduated from high school, but he was a smart man. He wasn't stupid, and neither was Lennon and neither was Ali. They weren't stupid, but they were not well-educated. They didn't have a support system, and then when they got this incredible wealth and fame, they didn't couldn't put it into perspective they, they just couldn't because everybody was kissing their butt they, nobody you know and if somebody did say something to elvis elvis fired him he didn't want to hear hey maybe you shouldn't be taking 85 pills a day he didn't want to hear it i think the majority of people who achieve great fame when they're young are destroyed by it you're right it's a curse. People, everybody wants to be famous. They don't understand that in most cases. They don't cases, understand. Look, yeah. Dennis, I'm famous. I had no blanking clue when I was rising up in my career. All I wanted was recognition. I didn't want a big mansion or a Ferrari. I didn't care about that. But when I became world famous doing the O'Reilly Factor, I was ill-prepared hmm. for the target on my back. And now it's worse because famous people can't even come out of their homes because they'll be recorded. Everything they do, their cell phone will be on them. And the weight of that, not being able to live a normal life, is enormous. Mm-hmm. So you're not a regular human being anymore. Mm-hmm. You're a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it comes with big prices, yet so many people want to be that. So, who was at Presley's funeral? Did he have any close friends? Yeah, he had friends. I mean, it was a big number, his funeral. His daughter adored him. Um, His former wife came, and, you know, it was a big thing. He wasn't an isolated man. John Lennon was isolated. Yeah, we'll talk about him next. All right, let me just remind people. Elvis, Elvis wasn't. 
Killing the Legends is the book, the latest in the Killing series. They're all fascinating reading. This is about Muhammad Ali, Elvis Presley, and John Lennon. I'm Dennis Prager. We'll be back in a moment. The Dennis Prager Show. Hi, everybody. Back with Bill O'Reilly, his book, Killing the Legends. John Lennon, Elvis Presley, and Muhammad Ali. Would you say that they were... I I, I can't imagine you would say that they, they were the most significant, but is there anybody who you would say was more significant than them in the second half of the 20th century? Not in our culture, popular culture. Wow. Nobody. Well, I chose that. There's nobody even close, by the way. Huh. And remember, Lenin came to America. So, I mean, he established headquarters here, whereas McCarthy did not, um, because that was a triad that drove the Beatles and the culture into uh, the counterculture of the late 1960s. So John Lennon was assassinated. Do we, what do you know, and I know you know a lot, so I'm asking, what do you know about the assassin's motives? Well, it was just like uh, a number of people who have um, encountered irrational violence. We hear about the politicians, but Sal Mineo was an actor that some guy approached them and killed them and there is, if you are famous, a threat. It's a minority threat, but it's there that somebody will harm you, not for rational reasons. Mm-hmm. Lennon was nice to this Chapman guy, signed his album, but this guy was a loon, is a loon. He's still alive, all right? And he just killed Lennon for no reason. I mean, it happens every day in America, but if you're famous, mm-hmm. people become fixated on you. And the fixation, uh, remember the Jodie Foster thing? He said, you know, he's talking to Jodie Foster. This with the Reagan assassination. Yeah. I mean, it's spooky world right. out there. Right. And every celebrity knows it. Why were none of the Beatles, I read this in your book, why were none of the Beatles at his memorial service? Excellent question from Dennis Prager, everyone. There was very bad feeling among the four, because it was so successful that they really didn't want to break it up. But Lennon became addicted to heroin. So when Lennon partnered up with Yoko Ono, everything changed. And Lennon gave Yoko Ono 100% power over his life. Whatever Yoko wanted, that was what happened. In the process... Lennon got addicted to heroin, and the Beatles knew it. Hmm. And nobody, that was not reported. Uh, it was like, oh, it was a business thing. There were business things involved that uh, engendered hard feelings, but it was the massive personality change on the part of Lennon that broke up the Beatles. Oh. And so when you cede your life to somebody else. It doesn't make any difference whether it's Yoko Ono or anybody. When you just say, look, it's too much. I don't want to run my own life anymore. You run it. And that's what Ali did. But Lenin did it and then became totally isolated. In the beginning, Lenin was a gregarious, 
Uh, he was the life of the party and the Beatles. So did heroin kill him? No, it didn't. He kicked it. But the fact that he would take that and, and come into that circumstance astounded his bandmates. They mm-hmm. couldn't believe it. Mm. With all, all of that on the line for them. And that he was doing this kind of stuff. Well, when I say did heroin kill him, I don't mean it literally. Did heroin change him and therefore end everything? You know, I don't. I can't answer that with any authority. He kicked drugs. He got off it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I. But while he was on it, as anybody who knows anything about opioids, the person taking them is a completely different person. Yeah. Elvis was completely different. That's right. So he was stoned. Two for two. Okay, let's go to Muhammad Ali in the time we have left. So what What killed Ali? Since that's your book, Killing the Legends. You bet. So the best writing I've done in all 12 books is the first seven pages of the Ali section in Killing the Legends, where I describe that he almost was killed in the ring in Manila fighting Joe Frazier. And Frazier was almost killed, too. That's how brutal that fight was. After the fight, Ferdy Pacheco, Ali's doctor, said, you can't, to the Nation of Islam, Herbert Muhammad, you got to get him out of the ring for a while. You can't put him back in the ring. Four months later, guess who's back in the ring? So, Ali knew it. He knew it because for two weeks, he couldn't even stand up after that fight. Mm -hmm. And the Nation of Islam was so powerful. Again, they controlled everything he did that when they said, you're going to fight, Ali fought. And that's what killed him because the ensuing deterioration of the brain Mm -hmm. robbed him of his life. He, He didn't die young, but if you saw him, in the last part of his life, yes, he was it not. Was it was very sad to see. What 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 were his racial views? I met him. Uh, I didn't see the militancy of Louis Farrakhan, for example, who now runs the Nation of Islam. Elijah Muhammad uh, brought Ali in, and he was a hater. Elijah Muhammad was a hater, no doubt about it. I never got that from Ali. I, I think that Ali um, was uh, easily led and, and latched on to this um, group. But I didn't see in his relationship with Howard Cosell, for example, and other uh, sporting people, you didn't get that I hate you whitey stuff uh-huh. from him. Uh-huh. But certainly he associated himself with people who did hate whitey. Well, well, it's quite quite a story. I love the fact that you tell what happened to their children. He had eight children yeah. from four wives. Yep. And the children are always the collateral damage. Yeah, exactly. Always. Well, what's your next book? Is anybody left to be I killed? Until Christmas, <laughs> we got, I'm writing it now. It, it'll be, it's totally different again. Um, so this time next year, I hope we'll be taught why well, we can do it anytime you want, because I enjoy talking to you. Um, 
but this time next year it'll be out the 13th killing book and uh it's but these are arduous to write i mean we, we oh research. yes you're doing it's, it's really remarkable one learns a lot of history and in a very very entertaining way in the best sense of entertaining congratulations on killing the legends bill Thank you for having me, Dennis. Always a pleasure to talk with you. I appreciate that. Yeah, they're, they're really, it's a remarkable series, I have to tell you. Those three, those three individuals. Well, look, I majored in history, folks. I think everybody living should major in history. It is a, one of the major causes of our problems today. People don't know what happened. So how do you know where you are now if you don't know what happened yesterday? Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Hi, everybody. I'm Dennis Prager. My guest is Paul Manafort, one of the best-known people in America. I wonder if he ever expected that that would happen in his life. I'll ask him in a moment. I just want to reflect on the title of his important book, Political Prisoner. It is difficult for me to acknowledge that the United States of America has political prisoners. This is something new in American history. It's not surprising because there is no example of the left taking power in any country and not having political prisoners. It is in the nature of leftism to do that. But I didn't think that this would happen here. I am old enough to remember when I would go to the Soviet Union, which was my field of study, and I would come back and I would argue on behalf of Andrei Sakharov, a pol- the most famous political prisoner, after Solzhenitsyn, who was finally expelled. And I used to think, wow, in the, in the Soviet Union... They have political prisoners. People arrested for their views. Always, by the way, never admitted for their views. They were always prosecuted for some legal offense, but it was only because of their views. And now we have that in the United States. Most recently, the the example of the pro-life activist outside of Philadelphia, 25 FBI agents, a SWAT team comes, the man, the man didn't even have a, a, a he didn't even have a, a an accusation made against him in court. The whole issue was thrown out by the Philadelphia courts. 
and Merrick Garland, who turns out to be a thug. Didn't expect that either. A true thug in, in the tradition of Stalin's henchmen sends the FBI to this man. So Paul Manafort's book is about what happened to him. He became a political prisoner. Paul Manafort's book is up at DennisPrager.com, and now I have the chance to speak to him. You can watch this at the Salem News channel, by the way. The show is on video as well as audio. Paul Manafort, welcome to the Dennis Prager Show. Dennis, good to be with you today. Thank you for having me on. Is that the longest introduction you ever heard? <laughs> well, it's probably the be- one of the better ones. <laughs> well, that, 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 I wasn't asking for a call. I was actually sort of mocking myself <laughs> in, 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 in how long. Unfortunately, my, life, my name is now associated with those kinds of introductions, and it shouldn't be that way in our country. That's right. It shouldn't be. When I said you might be the most surprised person in America at how well known you are. Was I, was I accurate? Um, well, I not not today. I mean, I do appreciate to know now, but I, I never thought I'd have this. That's right. what I meant. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, when uh, I've always been the one behind the scenes, uh, you know, running campaigns and advising clients. Um, I mean, the Trump campaign, I had to take on a more visible role because. He was a one-man band, and he needed somebody other than himself out there dealing with the, the number of the issues. Uh, but even then, I didn't think it would get to the point where it got to it with such a concoction of lies and having the whole federal government of the United States focusing on, on me in ways that were unimaginable. This, by the way, for those watching or listening who are not on the right, this is what we mean by the swamp. So I never thought there was a swamp. I never used the word. I now know there is. The left has ruined virtually every form of government, like it has ruined so much else, like education. When do you think the swamp began to be a swamp? Well, I think when Ronald Reagan was elected president, uh, it started to galvanize. And by that, what I mean is... Uh, before Reagan was president, the system, whether Republican or Democrat in Washington, was being run within a corridor of of, ideal, of, of, of issues, uh, with it being more center-left than center-right. And uh, Ronald Reagan challenged that, especially in the area of foreign policy and individual freedoms. And when he said we needed to bring down the Soviet Union, we needed to uh, you know, unleash the, the strength of the American economy to help uh, raise all ships. Uh, meaning all American people's welfare. Uh, and uh, I think the the system started to react negatively to that in a more organized way. But I, but I think even after, before Reagan was, was involved in, in Washington, the there were the tentacles of the left that William Buckley used to talk about that were seeping into education and into, uh, into the welfare state that LBJ put together. Um, and, and so it sort of began to converge during the Reagan presidency. Uh, but, uh, but after he left and things sort of resettled in Washington, uh, it, uh, the, the tentacles that were in the system began to d- deepen and, and, and get, uh, get more rooted, rooted, if you will. 
when Donald Trump announced his candidacy, uh, it 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 saw exactly those tentacles and how they were strangling the, the the delivery of the government working for the people, and the system sort of saw that. They, they first they tried to ridicule him, figuring he wouldn't have any uh, any uh, credibility if they just ridiculed him, and thought it was he was sort of a car- cartoonish character. But when he emerged among these 16 candidates, many of whom were establishment candidates and, and were well better known and uh, you know, in the political world, all of a sudden, from almost the beginning of Trump announcing his candidacy in August of 2015, he was the leader in the polls. It was only a plurality at first, but of all the Republicans, he was leading in the polls because he tapped into something that was very important. And, and I sort of saw that. Uh, in my own personal way, I, I had gotten out of Washington politics in the in the 2000s and, and, and during the Obama years because, frankly, I was feeling at the time that I was helping get people elected who were coming to Washington and forgetting their promises, and uh, and that didn't interest me. I was interested in, in people coming in and making a difference. And so, when Trump announced the the basis for his candidacy to get a government that responds to the people, it, it touched me. But more important, what got my antenna up is my cousins who run a family business back in Connecticut, and uh, it's been around for three gener- three generations. Now it's the fourth generation, and uh, it's a working class kind of company. They all started calling me and wanted to know about Donald Trump. Now my cousins never in my political career would call me about anybody, um, but they were actually excited and motivated. They wanted to go to his rallies. They wanted to get as much information as they could. And that's when I realized that what touched me and what I saw Trump touching in the country really was moving. And uh, Roger Stone, who was a partner of mine and we, right after the Reagan campaign, when we started Black Manafort and Stone, had been telling me since the 1980s that Trump had the wherewithal to be a presidential president someday. Hmm. Uh, and uh, and Roger had always kept me apprised of of Trump uh, over the course of the 25 years uh, between our firms being sold and in the Trump campaign. And, uh, and so he called and said, watch this guy because he's, he's going to take off. And, uh, and he did. So uh, that's when I started tracking it. That's when I started realizing the deep state was in, in trouble. And when, when Trump started to win the primaries, I saw the the sort of right, what's called now the Rhino Republicans or the, the Never Trumpers start to coalesce around anybody to try and deny Trump, uh, and that's when I knew that uh, that he was going to be nominated because at that point in time it was clear to me that uh, the the grass. So who who was the most directly responsible for your arrest? Who? Yeah. Um, well, it goes back to, to Obama. I mean, in my book, I lay I lay it all out, and, and I didn't know this at the time, but I finished the book at the end of last year, so the first year of the Biden administration, but into the Durham investigation uh, trial cases. And what I what I learned as I was writing the book was, if I was very active in Ukraine. I had elected a government that was committed to bringing Ukraine into Europe, uh, even though you would never know that by the way they characterized it uh, in my trial. But... Um, and I knew Hunter Biden was involved in, in Ukraine. Biden was the vice president at the time. He was the link between the Ukraine government and, uh, and Obama. 
I knew Biden was dealing with some people that were unsavory characters in business in Ukraine, but it wasn't affecting anything of mine. I didn't pay any attention to it. But what I didn't know until I was writing my book was that the Obama administration was getting nervous about Hunter Biden's activities in Ukraine and Biden's representation of of his administration. Uh, Okay, all right, we're going to continue in a moment. Political Prisoner by Paul Manafort. Another segment here with Paul Manafort. His book is Political Prisoner. Political Prisoner. We have political prisoners in the United States for the first time, to the best of my knowledge. And the use of the FBI now to persecute, to send SWAT teams to people with conservative views uh, is uh, a first in American history. Has any liberal or left-wing medium invited you for an interview? (laughs) No. No, in fact, uh, we've even made some uh, inquiries to several of the uh, mainstream media that let them know I'd be available. Uh, But they're trying to treat my book as if it doesn't exist. Well, The Atlantic uh, did write a, a, a scathing review of your book. And one would think that they might want you to uh, debate the guy who wrote the the uh, the critique, or or at least allow a response. Problem is, they'd be confronted with the truth, and then uh, they just have to regurgitate all the lies. And uh, I have the facts on my side, so there's been no interest. Uh, the Atlantic has been one of the dumpsters that has been pr- promoting all the false rumors about me going back to 2016. Let me ask you about Ukraine. Uh, I learned in your Tucker Carlson interview, you were there 10 years, is that correct? Correct. That's a long time to spend there. Did you miss the United States? Well, I was actually working in things that I thought were important. I mean, I felt Ukraine was an important country to become part of Europe. And uh, there was, in the aftermath of the Orange Revolution, there was a lot of confusion as to who was what there. Uh, and I, when I analyzed it for a corporate client of mine who had a business interest in Ukraine, uh, I deter- discovered that this left uh, cons- uh, pro-Russia, pro-Europe divide that everybody was talking about was more a fiction than a fact, um, and that the Ukrainian people were the ones who should decide where their, how their country is governed. Uh, even the Russian ethnic Ukrainian people had no interest in being part of Russia. They wanted to protect the Russian language, the Russian religion. Yeah, this is a very interesting point you make. I know Russian, and that that was my field of study, that, that area of the world. And I bought the idea, which is central to the whole explanation of Ukraine, or much of it, that the Russian, the ethnic Russians in Ukraine wanted to be wanted that part of Russia of, of Ukraine to be annexed by Russia. You're saying that's not correct. I probably did over a hundred polls over the ten years I was there. Uh, and I was I probed very carefully. Uh, you know, Russian Russian Ukrainians are Russian ethnic ethnicity and their views and and, and there was never a poll where more than five percent of that group wanted to be a part of Russia versus part of Ukraine with their Russian heritage protected. Uh, and and that was 
that was a, and so that divide was a false divide and and you saw it in the invasion that that uh, when Putin invaded uh, Ukraine this, this year and was shocked at the his inability to blitzkrieg the country I wasn't shocked because I knew that the Ukrainian people would fight hard including those living in the east uh, because they didn't want to they knew what freedom was in a free Ukraine and they also had a sense of what freedom was in Russia and they didn't want any part of that freedom uh, and uh, so I was not shocked at all uh, when when the resistance was as strong as it was. And this bogus uh, referendum that Putin has just run in eastern Ukraine as a pretext to uh, basically a, a usurping uh, you know, control over the eastern part of Ukraine has no credibility at all. I mean, they're probably not even Ukrainians voting. They're basically Russian. Right. No, that that's clear. Ukraine yes. So and, uh, wh- why do you think the Western media have overwhelmingly portrayed the ethnic Russians of Ukraine as pro as pro Putin because it fits their narrative. I mean, I think I'm a key part of their narrative on Russia, Putin helping Ukraine, helping elect Trump, because they had no real facts. There's there were zero facts even after all the investigations by the Senate. And House Intel committees by Mueller. There's never been one fact that shows any connection between the Trump campaign and and correct. And Russia. That's a given. I, I and I I knew that. And, I to, and so they needed uh, to blur yes. that line. So they, again, they, what what I don't know if you even have an answer. I I don't have an answer. But what does that have to do with portraying the Russians in Ukraine as pro-Putin? Why would they do that? Well, my personal view is because that was also a means by which they could then use me as a link to Moscow to try and put credibility behind this totally fake uh, Russian narrative. Um, And it also fits into Ukrainian politics as well, which to to get into a more localized uh, structure. I mean, there are two divides in Ukraine. There's Western Ukraine, there's Eastern Ukraine, there's the European side. And the uh, uh, and the Russian side, but interestingly, those the, the Eastern Ukrainians are the ones who really wanted to be part, especially the businessmen, part of Europe, because to them, it, being part of Europe allowed their companies to yeah, pro- of course, grow, of course, and as opposed to being you know treated as the, the little brother at best uh, by the Russian oligarchs. Who do you think blew up the Nord Stream pipeline? I obviously don't know who did it. I mean, people are trying to say that Russia did it. I wouldn't be surprised if the Ukrainians did it. <laughs> yeah, that's what I said last hour, that you, when you ask Qui Bono who benefits, it, it would seem the most obvious is the Ukrainians would benefit because then R- Russia can't have all that money from its natural Correct. gas exports. Correct. So... As we as we draw to an end here, and again the book Political Prisoner, which is riveting, what's the solution other than a, another Trump type character? And why didn't Trump get rid of more people in the swamp when he had four years in power? Well, there, there's actually an answer to that, uh, and, and that is Trump was not a person of Washington literally didn't know anybody in Washington, very few people, unless they had come to New York to ask him for money. 
And uh, and so when he was elected, and he wouldn't let me put a transition team together, which gets set up automatically after the two conventions so that whoever gets elected president has had a running start in building the government. Trump didn't want to have a transition. And he said, if we're going to have a transition, the people who are going to be filling those offices, setting up for the next administration are the people I don't want in those offices. Uh, and so there was no transition of any consequence. When Trump was then elected, you know, the next day he was charged with building a transition and building a government, and he had no bench. And that's the reason why. Oh, fascinating. System- well, we, we, need, we need somebody in the office to clean this one. Paul Manafort, thank you. I hope we have a part two. The book, unfortunately, properly named Political Prisoner. It's up Thank at DennisPrager.com. You, You're welcome. Thank you. Hello, my friends. My last question to Paul Manafort, who spent 10 years in Ukraine. Who does he think blew up the Nord Stream pipeline? And he said, maybe the Ukrainians. He doesn't know. Nobody knows. He said, maybe the Ukrainians. And that's uh, a... (laughs) Folks, I'm being driven crazy by my technical advisor, technical director. Uh, I I asked that last hour, qui bono, who benefits? And the Ukrainians are the ones who most benefit. Maybe they did it. Do they have the technical prowess to do that, though? I don't know. Maybe it doesn't take a lot of technical prowess to blow up a pipeline. I hope it was not the United States. I'm totally in support of our giving all this aid to Ukraine. But I am not for having a war with Russia. And I am for avoiding it. This is a wild man leader in Russia right now. By the way, I did ask Neil Ferguson, one of the greatest living historians, on this program months ago, and I had no idea what he would answer. He was uh, formerly of Harvard. Now he's at the Hoover Institution at Stanford. Do you think that Putin would have invaded Ukraine if Donald Trump were president? If I had to bet, I would have bet that he would have said, it's tough to know, can't give you a definitive answer, something to that effect. He immediately said no. I was taken aback. That's what I believe, but I didn't think that Neil Ferguson did, that Putin would not have invaded if... if, uh, if Trump were president. Part of Trump's power was his unpredictability on the part of his enemies. They, they wanted a, uh, a regular guy in the White House, one they could f- frighten. Leaders knew they couldn't frighten the American president when he was president. president who kisses his wife through a mask is easily frightened by anything. I regard him as pathetic and has nothing to do with any 
incipient dementia. So he uh, answered, Manafort did, that it might have been the Ukrainians who blew up the pipeline. May well have been. Interesting questions here. I'm going to take this call for that reason. Robert in St. Paul, Minnesota. Hello. Hello. Hi. Um, so uh, given uh, that you said that, uh, you know, if you elect the Democrat uh, city government and the city goes to heck, uh, the people that voted for him should be culpable. Should we as a nation be culpable for the actions of Biden, especially if he's the one who blew up this pipeline? And, you know, because I don't believe he was elected. Right. So there are two separate issues. You do believe that Lori Lightfoot was elected in Chicago, correct? Possibly. Oh, well, all right. Okay, so then since I can't... But I'll accept that. I'll accept that right. premise. All right. It's almost irrelevant whether you accept it or not. I'm surprised you don't, but it doesn't matter. If someone is elected, then the whole population is responsible for their behavior. I'm sorry to tell you that. That would include me. I am partially responsible for my the state in which I live being the moral cesspool that the Democrats have made it. I stay here. I could move. I have obviously had no great effect on many of my fellow citizens. I am partially responsible. That is correct. That is why it is a moral imperative upon people to fight the bad guys. I hate cliches, but everybody, most people know, the only thing it takes for bad people to prevail is for good people to do nothing. Most good people do nothing. Now, perhaps it is, cl- it is clearer how I regard that fact. It's an interesting question about the culpability of people for the bad done in their society. My belief is that if every good person in America fought the left, we would win. But a lot of people don't fight. A lot of people don't help the fighters. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm doing fundraising this month, as many of my Salem co-hosts, co-hosts are, for the Alliance Defending Freedom. And I, and I know I'm putting this in a very aggressive way, but I, I mean it, so I'll let the chips fall where they may. So every one of you should be giving them something. It's as simple as that. The percentage of listeners who agree with ADF or with me or PragerU or or Daily Wire or American Greatness or, or, or I mean just there's so many wonderful groups doing work for our values but who don't give them any money nor any nor any Republican running for office 
so how are you not partially responsible for the decimation of American society that the left is engaged in? You know my, my motto, there are three types of good people, those who fight, those who help the fighters, and those who do nothing. Most people do nothing. It's much easier to do nothing. You know, going on a uh, on a tour. My co- my co-hosts and I are going to different cities around the country in battleground states. Battleground tour, it's called. Battle battleground talkers tour. Let me get up the cities so you'll know. I can give that to you in a moment here. Because I will be on it. So let's see, it's next month, and let's see, we'll be, I will be in Orlando, Atlanta, Philadelphia, and Pittsburgh. And my co-host will also be in Cleveland. So here's an example. By the way, I don't get a nickel for this whole thing. It's very difficult, the traveling and, and doing the show and flying, but I'm deeply committed to it. But those of you in these battleground cities should go to the event. That's a, that's a good example of is inertia or what you have to do going to dominate your decision. It's easier to stay home. I know it because I feel the same thing. <laughs> I, I have normal human nature. And I spend most of my life fighting it. So it's a very important question. How much are decent people who don't fight responsible for the damage that the bad people do to their society? And the answer is they have culpability. You vote Democrat in Chicago. Now I'm not talking about the people on our side. You vote Democrat in Chicago in Portland, in L.A., in New York, you vote Democrat. The people are destroying your cities and you vote for them. In the history of free societies, it's got to be up there among the most inexplicable acts that a, a person can engage in. To vote a Democrat if you are not a leftist, if you are a liberal and to vote Democrat means that you have been brainwashed so deeply into believing conservatives are a greater enemy to you. Never Trumpers believe that. They believe that Trump was a greater enemy than the left. That is sick. That is sick. Let me say that again. That is sick. I don't care if you hate Trump's guts. All you need to do is love America. I don't care if you hate Trump. You're perfectly entitled to hate Trump. You're not perfectly entitled, if you're a Republican, to damage America. And that, that is what the obsession with Trump on the part of these never-Trumpers has done. To the extent that some... It's so painful to me because some of these people I, I've known for decades 
They voted for Biden. Biden is a bad human being for those of you who are preoccupied with character. He's a much worse human being on every level of which I am aware than Donald Trump. Donald Trump did not use America to enrich himself. He enriched himself in the private sphere. And now that he is president, are you, if you're a conservative, so-called, or Republican, and voted for him, are you proud of that fact? The damage he did just in Afghanistan, in leaving Afghanistan alone? You don't, you don't believe that you have to face your creator, your maker, with your decision to vote for him? If everything's the same, then everything's the way. Yep, everybody, Dennis Prager here. Let me uh, take a call from Chicago. Scott, hello. Hi, Dennis. Hi. Uh, I just, I just want to say that you are one of my biggest heroes. Thank you. Uh, I do appreciate everything you do for us. Good. <clears throat> uh, the problem with Chicago is, is that we, unfortunately, only have Democrats that run for for the city me being a person who worked for the city had to live in the city my choices are slim to none at best the unfortunate part is is that tony preckwinkle and Lori lightfoot were the top two contenders for that seat of mayor in, in the city right Lori lightfoot becomes the uh lesser of two evils at the time in 2019 so the unfortunate part, I mean, I do agree with you that we should be held accountable for what we do, but Look, Lori was the... Yeah, no, I hear you, and it's important. It's, I understand that. The people of Chicago voted for Democrats. Lightfoot or anybody else, it's irrelevant. Biden is not the issue. Lightfoot is not the issue. Gavin Newsom is not the issue. If it's a Democrat today, it means a person who is hurting this country. That's what it means. It means it is a person who has contempt for the country and for liberty. It is true for 90% of Democrats in office. They, They are interchangeable. If every single Democratic senator and representative were shipped off to a vacation on Mars, all expenses paid and had a great time, and I wish them no no harm. It would make no difference whatsoever. That is why I have begged to absolutely no avail. I've had no impact whatsoever in the longest-running message politically that I have. To every Republican candidate, you are not running against the individual against whom you are running. You are running against the left. Make that clear to everyone. If you vote for this Democrat, who may be a sweet, beautiful human being, a loving mother or father, it is irrelevant. You are voting to damage our city, our state, and our country. That is what a vote for a Democrat is, because the Democratic Party is a left-wing, not a liberal party. How many Republicans running say that? I believe the answer is 2%. They're all running against their, their, their particular opponent. 
You are running against the left. You are running against Soros. You are running against the Democratic Party. You are running against Pelosi. You are running against the New York Times, the Washington Post, and CNN. And you have to make that clear. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.